Welcome to Bear Essential on Fitness, where we will talk on different aspects of fitness and have special guests such as local athletic directors and coaches. Also be able to meet trainers and locally and nationally to get their expertise and their aspects on different sports, as well as the training that they get. Thank you very much. Today, I am lucky to have Adam. He is a person who has uh, intimate point of view of not only working with young athletes, but also working up at that D1 level. Like most of us trainers, we get stuck in one small area, but we don't get to see everything. Um, Adam was also lucky enough, if I say lucky, uh, had the fun to go back to school while getting working on his next degree and being able to help a flow for a college that having multiple different sports go at the same time. So Adam, do me a favor, tell the audience a little bit about your history and background. Well, just a little bit, Chris, I will try and keep this. If you could actually set a two minute timer, because it's been <laughs> quite, quite the story. I'll look at my clock here, but yeah, as Chris mentioned, my name is Adam Fight, and currently I am the co-owner of TF Performance LLC. So my wife and I decided to get back into the private sector business setting. And so we are a family-driven, athlete-centered uh, performance training company for today's youth. So we're based out of Western Massachusetts. Our full-time jobs are actually professors at Springfield College. So her and I just finished our PhDs in physical education. So my wife, Mary Kate, did hers in teaching and administration. And I did mine in sport and exercise psychology. So we're going to be taking our backgrounds in exercise science, our former years of collegiate and professional strength conditioning coaching experiences, as well as being previous business partners with Reach Your Potential Training and setting up shop here in Western Mass. So we're off to a great start. But in terms of experiences, I started in the field in about 2003 when I went to Springfield College for my undergrad in exercise science. In the last 18 years since then, I have coached at numerous institutions, as does the coaching carousel goes round and round. So I have coached at the University of Connecticut. I have coached at Springfield College. I have coached at Arizona State University. I have coached at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista or San Diego, California. I've done my graduate work at the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina. I have spent two years at University of Louisville working with their football team at the time we were in the Big East. I was a head division one strength conditioning coach at age 21 at Eastern Michigan University. From there, I went to the NFL, uh, also known as not for long, because that's what my tenure was. So I spent one year in the Carolina Panthers organization as the quarterbacks and specialist strength conditioning coach, as well as the nutrition coordinator. From there, my journeys took me to New Jersey, where I met Bobby Smith and his wife, Sharon, and we opened up shop with Reach Your Potential Training, or IGotRipped.com, where we spent five years uh, building a half a million dollar business from starting with essentially seven kids paying $20 cash per hour. Spent five years there. Uh, during year three there, I joined Precision Nutrition, the largest nutrition coaching certification and software company in the world, also happened to be remote. So I just wrapped up a six-year tenure there, uh, full-time as their head strength and sports psychology coach and curriculum designer. And now I am awaiting my newest appointment as assistant professor of exercise science and fieldwork coordinator at Springfield College. So I think I got it in three minutes, but so far so good. I think we're off to a great start. So um, yeah, as you can tell, he has a little bit of knowledge about a lot of different things. 
um, or a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things, um, depending on how you look at it and how could keep up with that. So what was your, um, you talked about rep and that's actually, well, I got to meet you at athletic acceleration when you went, mm-hmm. went to go speak down in IU country. Um, what was your experience there? It was, and I say this with the utmost sincerity, it was truly a rebirth and revival of my passion for coaching. So I had found Bobby through an online ad through the NSCA, so the National Strength Conditioning Association. I was going through a little bit of a transition piece, leaving the NFL. I knew I wanted to get back working with kids. I expected to go back into college strength conditioning because that was my first love. You know, it's like your first kid. Everything is about that. And had an opportunity to really do something I never had done before. And that was to join the private sector, to start a business and to live life on my own terms and build something from, you know, a good foundation. So my five years there with Bobby and the team and essentially growing it from an idea and a TRX notebook that Bobby used to keep his workouts in, which, you know, he can tell you about that, to having a team and having multiple full-time staff members and, you know, having summers that we had more kids than Mike Boyle strength conditioning. I mean, it was incredible. So it was really a rebirth and revival because at that time in my career, I was in my mid-20s. I just got married. We were already pregnant. We had a house. We were doing all the things in adulting. I had lost kind of the utmost passion and forgot why I was in the field and working with Bobby and the rest of our team that we were able to develop, working with a new age group, you know, below college age, we're talking high school and middle schoolers. I mean, it, it was a breath of fresh air. It was outstanding. You know, did we have our concerns with growth? Absolutely. Did we make some mistakes? 100%. Did we give away too many discounts? Yes. 100% on that, uh, even though there were a lot of 20% discounts that all added up to a lot of revenue. I don't even want to think about how much money we lost, <laughs> but it really solidified like, wow, you can really reach an age group that has such an opportunity to grow, to develop, to not be tainted by college athletics yet. And you can really make a difference. And I think what I loved most about that, Chris, was the opportunity to meet people outside of the athlete you're training. So many of those kids' parents where our contractors, they helped us, you know, we bought a foreclosure in New Jersey, as you know, New Jersey is one of the highest, if not the highest state to live in. And we weren't ready to do that. So we had babysitters, we had carpenters, we had coffee roasters, we had electricians, we had mosquito sprayers, and all in an attempt of figuring out what can we do to help their kids grow and develop? And how can I keep my pockets from emptying too quickly? So uh, we got a community, we got a family, uh, both my kids, you know, essentially took their first steps in the gym. I am eternally grateful for my time there. And I'm using a lot of the lessons that I learned uh, both inadvertently and purposely to move forward in, in this next chapter of my life as I start my own company. What was your biggest things that you learned going from those grown adults to the kids when it came to training? Yeah. So what's interesting there is my first lesson, and I share this so candidly, was that the training age is remarkably different and they're not simply mature enough to handle those changes in intensities. We can, we can go down many rabbit holes, but I'll never forget. Like when I was working the NFL in college, you know, taking a a 30, 40 pound jump, let's say on hex bar deadlifts was just normal practice. I mean, I'm working with kids that are deadlifting 400, 500, 600 pounds. And so wasn't even thinking. And I was so overzealous, I'll never forget it. Her name is Olivia, and she's doing very well for herself these days, but she ended up becoming a Division One soccer player. Nice. And we're, we're in our temporary spot as our facility is being built out. So we're in this, like, doctor's office, 
and Olivia's crushing these hex bar deadlifts. I'm like, oh, let's go. So throwing another 30 pounds on, not realizing that was like 20% of what was already on the bar and boom, tweaks are back. And it was like probably my second day working with Bobby. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is a little bit different. So that allowed me to remember and to appreciate the slow cooking process. I was so, I won't say infatuated or just purposeful with my drive to add more weight or do better exercise, whatever the case may be. I had to really sit down and reflect. I'm like, what is going to be best for them in the long term? Their coach doesn't care about how much they do that. And, you know, the rate of injury isn't a big deal right now. It's about laying down the foundation. So that was literally one of the first earliest lessons I got was like, Hey, we got to play the long game here. It's not about getting them as strong as possible in the next six, eight weeks. It's about how can I create and cultivate a relationship that's going to serve me for years to come. And I go back to that all the time. And it was funny. It actually reared itself again in my life. I started a new group. I had shifted back to goblet squats. I'm working with some middle schoolers and middle school basketball players. They can be awkward. Uh, they don't really talk much. Their bodies are awkward. And almost the same exact thing happened, right? We were doing some tempo work. A kid started talking trash to his teammate. He grabbed a kettlebell. All of a sudden, his back started hurting. And here I am going, oh, Olivia, remember that one time we first started? So it all came full circle. But I've appreciated the, the process itself. And it's allowed me to slow down and enjoy every moment of it. And you just you brought up a good point about uh, long term. Um, I know a lot. There's there's been a, a shift over to the long term development. Mm -hmm. um, what is your thoughts on the different age groups on some of the training? Because yeah. there's, there's a lot of there are people like, oh, weight training should not be done at a certain age or this. And I know I'm for me, I'm body weight. And then as they progress, progression is that everybody's different. Like you said, I had older kids that can't body weight their or couldn't squat their body weight. Right. I've got a 10 year old that can take, take a 150 pound bar. Well, not really, but, but like does I do safety bar back squats, but he does use the safety bar and he can squat mm -hmm. below 90 degrees. Like it's nothing. Yeah. It's a great question, Chris, because I think what we have to remember as coaches is if that we don't have principles and we don't have a system, essentially we're going to do whatever we think is best without any clear rhyme or reason. And so with that matter, there are some really great things about long-term athletic development. And I think that's how a lot of coaches approach it. However, we have to make the justification between obviously their emotional maturity, their cognitive maturity, their physical maturity, their training maturity, and kind of wrap all that up into what I call outcome-based decision-making. It's a principle I learned working with precision nutrition for so many years is that you're going to take your best educated guess, right? You're going to assume it's always best to assume they don't know how to train that they can't do a plank, that they can't do a push-up, et cetera. However, if we become fixed and rigid in our beliefs of like, we're only going to do body weight, we can miss out on a lot of training adaptations. So for instance, I've got a group of an AAU basketball players. There's one kid that physical maturity is remarkably higher than the other kids. So for me to just assume that like, oh, you're 13 years old, you're only doing isometric split squats, you're only doing push-ups, you're only doing suspension rows, is going to be a big miss on my end. So I have to find ways to layer or scaffold his training, maybe a little bit differently. I could change the time. I could change the implement. Maybe I give the kid a dumbbell when he's ready. So I think it's important, right? Research has refuted the idea of like training is bad for you. If anybody's interested, Avery Fangenbaum is the leading researcher on that. It's good for you. It's good for your parents. It's good for everything about you. Obviously you have to have qualified and certified coaches, but we can kind of dismiss that myth to the side. 
What's important to remember here, though, is that to take a 360 degree approach, do I rely on a lot of isometrics? No question. Do I rely on a lot of tempos? Absolutely. I follow a lot of the teachings from one of my earlier mentors, Joe Ken, and his block zero method, because I agree, you don't want to just add load to dysfunction, right? Don't just squat them to squat them. Don't just bench them to bench them. However, I have learned along the years, you're going to make some exceptions to the rules based on the context of your environment. So I always go back to that. Once you know the rules, then you can bend and break them. But you got to know the rules first. Taking a long-term athletic development approach is obviously a solid approach. However, a caveat to that is to know your environment, to know your kids, and know when sometimes, guess what? You know what? We're going to pick up some kettlebell farmers, and then the other half of you are going to be on the airdyne, and we're going to get after it in the driveway. And we're going to have elements of that. We're going to thread that in, but it's not going to be the basis of our training. So to kind of wrap all that up, Chris, I think it's an excellent approach. It's better, obviously, to do that than to just rush right into the weight room. We know the weight room can only transfer so much to the sport of play, whether that's a field, that's a court, that's an arena, whatever the case may be. So taking some time, slow cook it. You can always raise the heat, right? It's always easier to turn up the temperature it is a lot harder to turn it down. And that comes from an emotional standpoint, from a self-esteem perspective, and as well as if they do get hurt, maybe you rush the process a little bit too quick. I think one of the best phrases I ever heard is when I was going through GRX training was earn the progression. Yeah. Like if they, like you just said, I've seen that same, those, that same kid that would come in and you're like, uh, have you been working out for years or what? Then you get the whole group, the other 99%. And you're like, have you ever did anything athletic in your life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of those around these days, right? Yeah, especially now. Uh, That's one of the questions I always ask now. Um, COVID, what's one of the things that you've seen a lot of the kids that need to start or need to start working on now that they're coming more of the COVIDs, they're coming out of COVID and starting going into sports? Yeah, well, I think I'll, I'll kind of flip the answer a little bit here. I mean, you're probably looking for a physical thing, right? Like kids are sitting around, maybe their, their hip flexors are a little bit tighter, their posture is even worse. I have, you know, I, I have a sports psychology background in addition to training. So I actually look at mindset first and mm-hmm. kind of how they're viewing their beliefs and their thoughts about the world and how that's essentially translating to, to what they do, right? And so a lot of this uh, has to come with, you know, the connection between our thoughts, our feelings and behaviors. So a lot of kids are, were feeling gypped. They were feeling ripped off. Their seasons were cut short, right? So they have this attitude or stigma about now I've got to make up for lost time, right? Now I've got to do double the work in half the time, or now my time is, is limiting. I'm not going to be able to get a, a scholarship, whatever the case may be. So for me, I almost look at it from the other side of the coin, right? The, the physical development stuff's fun. It's awesome. It's also the easiest part of our jobs. And I think if you talk to any strength conditioning, sports performance, high performance specialist, whatever we're calling ourselves these days, that it's fun. It's great to see them set PRs. It's great to see their bodies and minds change. It's the inner layers behind the layers, underneath the layers that I enjoy the most to watch them go from a place of grief, from sadness to low self-esteem and working on those mental strength skills and strategies to give them a better perspective and also to reframe their situation. Yes, the pandemic has sucked for a lot of us. I'd say for most of us. However, there are always silver and gold linings within that equation. I try to do my very best in finding those, to exploiting those and leveraging those so that it can drive our training, so that it can improve our goals and ultimately drive better and more sustainable results with our kids. I know, like you just said, 
one of the things I do at the end of all my group training now is uh, during, I started doing it right during the pandemic, right when the, after the pandemic was, I get them, I ask, uh, we go through at the end, I go, why they're rolling, I go, give me one positive thing that you've done, whether it's in school, in mm-hmm. your sport, did you do something better in here? And I go, give me something to work on. And they're like, negative said, no, not negative, something you need to work on. It's about acknowledging whether you need to get better in your math, you need to get a better squat, something that you, like as adults, we fail to acknowledge that we have a weakness. So if you acknowledge it out loud, as well as there's a lot of times you, like you were just talking about the whole emotional uh, state. If you focus all the time on the bad things and don't acknowledge, hey, I did this right. I'm doing yeah. better here. It's like going, getting that one little thing sparks the brain and makes them a little bit better. Right. And, and I do know, I mean, from my research, being back at school and finishing my degree, you know, one of these, there's obviously in psychology, everything's a theory, right? We can't prove anything. We have these really <laughs> great guesses. But a theory that has really resonated with me is this idea of basic psychological needs. And it comes down to three main things, right? Autonomy, competence, relatedness. So I won't go down the rabbit hole too deep, but this idea of relatedness or being you know, committed and attached and part of a community, somebody other than yourself, a group gathering, you're, you're part of something greater than yourself is huge here. And I think that's why group training works so well. I've got nothing against personal training, except for the fact that I feel a lot of pressure that I put on myself to keep the conversation going. And that's why like, I charge a flat rate for the hour. And I'm like, hey, per COVID guidelines, I can get about four of you in here, split it up, get your buddies in here. But to go back to that, you know, looking for the bright spots that you were talking about earlier, Chris, it's the idea of people want to celebrate their successes with other people. I am a coach who have hired coaches to keep me around other coaches, right? It's a natural progression, especially during a pandemic like this. We feel isolated. And there's a lot of us, including myself, that made radically changing life decisions because you got a little bit extra thinky time when you're feeling bad for yourself, you're woeing is me, you're thinking about what is happening and all of that matters. So that idea of being commuted, excuse me, to being connected to others is a foundational part of meeting our own psychological needs. And I think if coaches can start to explore that and figure out, guess what? Uh, What was the one thing you did well? And if you are going to challenge it, and what's one thing you need to be improved on, great. And then say, hey, who's going to help you do that, right? Where's your support system? Who's going to make sure you drive that next action forward? It's not about whether you're winning the day or losing the day because you didn't get X or Y done, but it's about letting you know, hey, I got some stuff to do, and I've got some people behind me that are in my corner, and they're going to make sure that I'm giving it my best, regardless of the circumstances and situations around me. So it's an important piece of that puzzle when we talk about training other kids. The, you talk a lot about the psychology part. How do you put it into your training when you're training your athletes? Yeah, it's that's a great question because that's something I'm constantly under revision because coming from an original coaching background and then transitioning back into higher ed or academia, you can't exactly just say, oh, I read this on a blog, right? So all of a sudden <laughs> now you're getting you know primary sources and now I'm transitioning out of higher ed from a Well, Wilson et al. And in a study in 2009 said, for me, it always comes down to like reverse engineering, like periodization, right? What is the outcome I'm trying to get from this, right? Higher, faster, bigger, stronger, more injury resilient, mentally tougher, whatever these lay terms that we're talking about. And knowing the context, knowing the athletes and putting myself in their situations and thinking, how can I reframe this so that they'll understand, right? So the idea of psychological theories or what I did my work on was mental skills and strategies and techniques to help them. It's 
remember who you're working with. Remember the language that they're communicating with. And if that means you're going down to emojis, you're going down to emojis. If that means you're framing goal setting as, hey, what's one really awesome thing you want to accomplish? Then you frame it down like that, right? I'm not worried about smart goal setting and is this specific and actionable and measurable and retainable and timely. I'm thinking about, hey, what do you want to get accomplished? What are the things that are in your way that are preventing that? What are some things you're doing right now that maybe could, if you did a little bit better, would actually get you closer and get you there quicker? And what is a realistic frame and what do you need from me as support? So I try to break it down to answer your question. You're getting me fired up right now, Chris, because I don't think we spent enough time talking about how to support athletes in the other dimensions of their health is to just keep it real, right? I'm not, I don't have to worry about impressing them with the amount of research I read. I, I want to get down to their level and really it's exploring, it's challenging those limiting thoughts. It's those irrational beliefs, right? I'm not good enough, or this is going to be hard or coach doesn't like me. And then I go right back to my original playbook as I start to write my own book about this process of like, where's the evidence, right? I love doing that, right? Oh, coach isn't going to play me. You know, he doesn't like me. All right. Tell me like actively call that out and say, let me know. How do you know that to be true? Or is that what you're thinking, right? What evidence do you have for this thought to exist? And to be honest with you, a lot of kids don't have those mental skills. They don't have the ability to think critically. They don't have the ability to concentrate or to focus or to regulate their emotion or their arousal levels, right? We want to get all juiced up, hustled up, you know, get your chili hot. Let's get ready to go. But is it really a switch? Should we flip it on and flip it off? What is the damage of that? Or is it more like a dimmer? where we should be able to slide up the scale and slide down the scale. So I try to break it down. I love stories. I love getting it on their level, trying to connect it back to something that they can anchor to something in their real life. And we take it as we go. It, it's not always perfect, right? Any coach, just like training, right? Oh, how'd the session go? Oh, it was great. No issues whatsoever. Everybody was on time. Uh, everybody did perfect technique. That's not the case. Sometimes I tell a story and then they look at me and I'm like, okay, I got to break that down even further. So Easily digestible, keep it simple, make it connected to something that they can relate to, and you're going to be in great shape. So for psychology-wise, for the different age groups, do you think there's a difference, I should say for training-wise, um, is there a breakup, like different gaps between them? Because right, you said you, you're training like 8 to 18. Mm -hmm. it's, like going, how, it's like going, what, are the, what do you think the different mentalities are? Or Yeah, that's another. I know one thing. Somebody said, bro, once was don't get, like you said, some maturity level can be different too. Mm -hmm. so they can't get focused, but I know in general, there's going to be stacks. Yeah. So it brings up, I think a, a greater discussion on like these ideas of extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, right? So we all know as health and fitness professionals, right? You got to know your why you got to do your golden circle, blah, 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 blah. Uh, an 18 year old, a 17 year old is not going to do that. You know, you're going to ask, you know, what's your why? And it's like, I want to get a scholarship. And then you're like, well, what's, why is that important to you? Like they don't have that ability and they don't have the cognitive maturity. Their brains aren't fully developed till they're 25 anyway. So you have to reduce it down to a level below that. Right. And that might be like studying animal behaviors, right? I have a new puppy, right? We use rewards to get what we want, right? Yeah. Rewards and extrinsic motivation works until it doesn't. Okay. So the idea, and I use what's called like intermittent reward systems, where it's like, you know what, if they're constantly doing the thing for me to praise them and for me to reaffirm them and validate them all the time, I'm doing it wrong. However, I can't count on the fact that 
you know, my eight-year-old, you know, I have an eight-year-old right now uh, that they're going to do things because for the love of the game, right? Even in motivation, there, there are various levels on the spectrum of that. So to break all that down, I'll just simplify it, right? So let's just say elementary, middle school, and, and high school plus, right? High school plus, you're dealing with a lot of other extenuating factors. You're dealing with kids that are worrying about if they can fit in. They're worrying about if they can get a college scholarship. They're feeling the pressures from doing all of the activities, from specializing. They've got the grades, all of that, right? So you can have a more thoughtful and a deeper conversation with them. My goal with those high school athletes are to really help facilitate that support system to occur. Right. It's often an ear for them to vent and to hear about their struggles and how they're trying to keep everything together. So I can have a little bit more appropriate conversation with them. My middle school kids, they're not much different. Right. Uh, they're growing into their bodies. Things are changing. Males, females, however, they're identifying. A lot of things are happening. So now we're you know, this might be conversations about peer pressure, self-esteem, their self-worth. Uh, the pressures that they feel from their parents as well. And so when you reduce it down to like the kids, kids just, they do, they just want to have fun. They want to be recognized and appreciated. But within all of those, we all have this strong urge to be reaffirmed, to be noticed, to be celebrated. And so I make a mindful opportunity of that every single time I can get. I'm not cheesy about it. I am authentic. I am genuine. And I want them to let them know that like I am watching and I'm hearing you. So Guess what? With my eight-year-olds, if I have to say, hey, there's a dollar bill at the end of the line, the first one who gets there gets that, boom, all right, that may work for one day. But I'm also looking for ways to motivate them to cater to their strengths, right? That's solutions-focused coaching. I'm leveraging what they're already great at. So an example of that might be back to, let's all use my son for an example. He's eight years old. He's playing on a U11 baseball team, which is incredible, uh, but he's the smallest guy out there. So hitting's not his strongest standpoint, but talking with him and saying, oh, he gets upset because he's not getting on base all the time. We're talking about, all right, but you bring a lot of value. What are you really good at? What, do, what brings you joy, right? His feeling's awesome, base feeling, all of that type of stuff. So we're leveraging that appropriately. My middle school kids, right? Whatever the case may be with their development, they may not be able to bend better than that other guy, but they can be able to be, let's say they have better breakaway speed, whatever the case may be. So what I've noticed along the way, at least from a psychological sense, is you can't go wrong with solutions-focused coaching. You can't go wrong with finding what they're already doing and to leverage that to maybe cast a shadow over what they're not great at. So if you build up that area of their development, of their self-esteem, of what they think about themselves more than harping on all the things that they're not doing, right, it's going to lend itself very well to your favor. So to wrap all that up, I tend to have a little bit more fun with the younger kids because yeah. there, there isn't as much pressure, right? You're just trying to get them to explore, to have fun, to engage, and to build relationships. My middle school kids uh, tend to be a little bit more challenging just because of that age group and finding exactly who they are as individuals. The high school kids, I found they're a little bit more extrinsically rewarding because they want that scholarship. They want that starting position. They can attach their process to a specific outcome, right? They're going to do training because they want to be a starter. They're going to do training because they want to be better or make the team, whatever the case may be. So I think it's important to just, again, know your kids. It's hard for me to give a general recommendation here, but it really comes down to treating them with respect, to taking some time to understand their story. And, you know, in the intake process, ask them how they like to be coached. Ask them how they respond to feedback. Ask them what is the best way to approach them in a situation where if they're not doing something correctly, how you can 
you know, appropriately correct that because every kid's going to respond differently. So I spent a lot more time with my athlete intake process. I don't care how much you do X. I don't care how much you do Y. I'm actually talking with them and their parents about, hey, how do they handle failure? Uh, can you give me an example of exactly when something didn't go their way? How did they respond? And spending some time in the beginning of the session, as well as the debriefing or the huddling at the end of the session, the breakout to talk about some of the lessons, because I believe, and not many coaches do, but the lessons that we teach in training are the same lessons we can carry over to life. I see it in the Facebook forums now, parents getting upset because they think their teachers are just responsible for English, arithmetic, and history. I think it's so much more than that. If I can translate and connect the dots of what we do in training, that's going to transfer over because I see it in my own facility, right? Kids want to compare themselves to others. That's not what training is. You have enough of that in sport coaching. You have enough of that with your parents. You have enough of that in the real world. When you enter my facility, it's you versus you. And all we're doing is trying to find and narrow the focus into terms, hey, yeah, we're doing some friendly competition with your buddy over there, but I want to know how you're doing and how you're going to be able to better that and improve that next time. That's awesome. I completely understand. It's like going, uh, I actually just got the Zybeck uh, combine system in mm -hmm. and now the kids love that at the end. Of, like I'll do that at the end of the month and they'll, they'll test their vertical. I've got the 10 yard. So now they're all hyped up. They're like, when's the next one? When's the next one? So they can see, and it doesn't matter which age group, the younger ones love to see it to the high schoolers. Okay. You're like, you're talking about for college. Hey, am I, am I getting those numbers up that I need to, to impress the, uh, those recruiters? Yeah. So Adam, I know you got to get going. I want to ask one more question. Um, going into the summer, what's one thing you think the, uh, one thing, how do you, uh, what do you think the kids should do and the parents just to enjoy now that we're hopefully we're opening up a little bit more? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be spending a ton of time outside and I'm going to obviously be socially distant and safe and, and following all guidelines within our town and state. But uh, the more we can disconnect from technology, we can disconnect from the constant notifications. I think this year now more than ever, we've been glued to technology. It has not, and I'm not going to go down the, you know, neuroscience route of, you know, attention deficit and all that and behavior. But that was something I noticed right away last year that the more time we had together as a family, the more time we had doing things that were unstructured, that were not uh, organized play, we really solidified and improved our relationships. That goes with my partner, that goes with my kids, that goes with the other people around us. So this summer, enjoy it because it's probably the closest we're going to get to quote unquote, our original normalcy. Um, and, and, and take it for what it is, right? Remember, you know, you can say, count your blessings, think about the past, do some introspection, whatever the case may be, but it's going to be a lot different than it was last summer. So progressively, I'll say as a strength coach, take your time, be safe, go out and have fun and know that the lessons in the past, that things can change like that. And so are you going to be mindful? Are you going to be attentive when you're there? Are you truly going to be there or are you somewhere else? And so head or behind that's it. Right. And so to, to, to really embrace, I mean, I, I don't want to say, you know, reduce it down to a cheesy one line or motivational quote, but you know, be where you are. And it's very easy to think about what has to happen next. It's easy to think about what should have happened last time. Um, how about you just worry about where you are right now and to enjoy it. And for me, my son's playing a ton of baseball right now, unfortunately, because <laughs> it's like a three hour game. Yep. My daughter's got soccer. He's got soccer. She's got lacrosse and track. 
And I'm doing my very best to like, you know what, I'm here, I'm making up for lost time. And I've always been busy, busy, busy. Now I'm right here right now. And this rep matters most. Again. Awesome. Hey, Adam, thank you for taking the time out for today. And for the audience, we'll have uh, Adam's information if you want to reach out to him uh, for more information from him. Great coach, great person all together. Adam, thanks again for uh, spending the time with us today and have a great summer. You too. Chris, I look forward to uh, catching up a little bit more with some free time. And I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Fair Essentials on Fitness today. If you like it, subscribe to a podcast as well as share it out to others that may be in the same interest. At any point in time, leave a question. Hopefully we can get back to you and give you the information that you're looking for. Again, thank you very much. This is Coach Chris from Bear Fitness. Oh!